Well, I want to add my welcome to everybody here in the auditorium, everyone in the atrium, and everyone joining us online from all over. And I want you to give a special welcome to a friend of Crossroads who was the first person we hired a hundred years ago when we started the church. Uh, and he was here for about 11, 12 years, headed up the building of this building here. This whole facility has his DNA on it. And we're glad that Scott Owens and his daughter Kaylee are here. Scott, yeah, yes. Thank you, thank you. So good to see Scott. Well, welcome to Summer Road Trip. We're walking through the New Testament book of Acts, and you may know it, you may not, but the New Testament book of Acts is the history of the original church. It's the history of the early church. And today I'm gonna talk about the church. And I'm gonna talk from Acts chapter two, and I'm gonna talk about our church. And as we've heard, these are very exciting times at our church. And as I thought about our church, I did a little calculation here. I thought, if you come to weekend services, and by that I mean a Thursday or a Sunday in a year, you're gonna invest about 75 hours here at those weekend services. Then if you throw in an, a class, like a next step class or Wednesday night class, that could be another 50 hours you're investing around here. And then if you come to our worship nights, communion nights, special services, that could be another 50 hours, not counting travel back and forth. If you're in a small group, you could easily be investing 100 hours, 100 hours building relationships around here. And then if you're serving, you're volunteering, that's another 50 hours as a general average. You add that up, that's a grand total of 325 hours some of us will invest around here in a year. That's like 41 full eight-hour days some of us will invest here at Crossroads Church. That's quite an investment by anybody's standards. And the question begs to be asked, is it gonna be worth it? I mean, is it gonna be worth that kind of investment? I mean, if you do a hard cost-benefit analysis, is there gonna be a payoff if you make that kind of investment? And I cannot answer for you that question, but I can answer for me. And I've thought about it a lot. I'm not answering casually like off at the top of my head here. I've thought about it a lot and I've come to my conclusion. You have to come to your own conclusion. My conclusion, I look forward to investing hundreds of hours around here in the next year and I'm not a, on the staff anymore. And I still look forward to investing hundreds of hours of what God is doing at our church here in the next year. I love our church. You know, and as I was thinking about our church this week, putting this together, it, I remembered a while back when Phyllis and I went up to Vail on a Sunday after I had given the message here. We went up to Vail for a couple days of relaxation and we go to a lodge and there's a guy in front of me and he says, do you have any rooms available? He says to the clerk. The clerk says, yes, we have rooms available for $169 a night. He said, great, I'll take one. He got the key and he left. Now you need to know, I made a reservation online. My reservation, the cheapest room I could find in that lodge 
uh, online was $199. So I went to the clerk. I said, hey, I made a reservation. He looked it up. He said, oh, yes, Mr. Smith, we have your room. It's all available for you. That'll be $199. I said, hey, I want to get a room like that guy in front of me got a room for $169. How do I get a room for $169? He rolled his eyes. He said, well, that was the walk-up rate. You made a reservation. I can't give you the walk-up rate. I go, what? I'm being penalized because I made a reservation? Explain why I'm being penalized. And my attitude was not good about now. He goes, well, yada, 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 all of that kind of thing. I said, I could solve this. How about we cancel my reservation? I walk outside, I walk back in. You give me the walk-up rate of $169. Um, my blood pressure was actually kind of going up at this point. He says, I can't do that. You got to pay the full price. I go, I'll give you full price. <laughs> then I remembered that that morning I had spoke from Ephesians 4.32 that says, be kind and gentle, tender-hearted towards one another. I thought, oh yeah, I'll be kind and tender-hearted, not joyfully though. But I, I just said, just give me the room. We'll take the room full price, whatever, we'll take the room. So he's filling it all out. There's just silence. And then I, I broke the silence. I said, so you having a good day? He said, no, not a good day at all. And then we chatted a little bit and he's doing all this paperwork. Then he looks up and he says, but this morning I went to church the first time in years and I really liked it. And I said, no kidding, I go to church. He said, you? I go, I go, yeah, believe it or not, I've gone once in a while. Well, you need to know, and I don't work here officially. You need to know, if I was not up here speaking, you know I'd be in church. It might have been Thursday or Sunday. I'd be in church, and I'd be at this church. I love our church. And Jesus gave us a tantalizing glimpse of the power of the local church. It's in Matthew 16, 18. It's up on the side screens. It's on the message notes. Look at what Jesus said about the power of the local church. He said, I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. He said, those that allow themselves to get involved at that level, those who invest in the local church at that level, he said, you're gonna be part of something. His dream for the church. You're gonna be part of something. So expansive with energy, so powerful, the most negative, destructive force on the planet doesn't have a chance against it. That's the power of the local church. And I had somebody tell me their story a while ago, and I use this with his permission. But as he's telling his story to me, he said, when I was real young, the rug got pulled out from under me. He said, my parents got a divorce. And there was just my mom and my brother and myself. And my mom moved our little family from the West Coast back to her home state of West Virginia. I was real young. And those were very hard years. We were hardly making it back there in West Virginia in those times. He said, but my mom started taking us to a local church there in West Virginia. And they welcomed us, our family with open arms. He said they became like a surrogate family for us. And he said old guys, old guys like 50 and 60 
years old. They became like a father to him and his brother. And he said that he grew up in that church. He said, I love that church. He said, we never miss a Sunday. And he said, the only thing that kept our family going back in those days was that local church. He said, that local church, the way they welcomed us and surrounded us, that church in West Virginia saved my life. That church changed my life. And he's a pastor now. And that kind of story of the church coming through for people in times of pain, that kind of story could be told tens of millions of times over in the last 2,000 years of church history. And churches have not just, have come through for people in times of pain. They've helped people celebrate the greatest joys of their life, like the birth of their kids or their grandkids or, or graduations or marriages, anniversaries, things like that. And churches have motivated people to stand up to injustice and per, uh, oppression. Churches have become, they're like the conscience of society, standing up to racism and sexism. And churches have led the way in providing food and shelter, housing, housing, and clothing and medical resources for people in under-resourced areas. You take the church out of under-resourced areas in the world, you take the church out of disaster-torn areas, whether it's a hurricane, a flood, a tsunami, a wildfire, the lights go out. They do. And churches have motivated people. They've motivated people through the most beautiful art and music for the last hundreds of years that have lifted the soul and the spirit of people. I mean, you take five minutes thinking what our world would be like if there never had been a church. And I know the church is not perfect. I don't have my head in the sand on that. The church has made enormous mistakes over those 2,000 years. Sometimes it's been like two steps forward, three steps back. But you spend five minutes thinking what this world would be like if there had never been a church. It gets ugly with a capital U. And I'm gonna throw out a few ideas about our church, about Crossroads Church, and what we're about, and I've thought about this a long time. I'm gonna talk about the church that we've tried to model ourselves after for all of these years. And you know what church that was? That was the first church. The church that formed in downtown Jerusalem, 33 AD, because that first church did a whole series of things really, really well. And I'm gonna give you four, and you can write these down. Here's the first one. That first church exploded into existence because number one, they proclaimed the message of amazing grace. They proclaimed the message of God's grace, that God's love is for everyone through Jesus Christ. And that first church, that first church went from 11 to 3,011 in one day. One day, you can read about it. Acts chapter two. If you read Acts chapter two, it tells us. Peter, and if you know anything about Peter, he had a lot of troubles, a lot of problems in his life. But Peter got filled with the love of Jesus and inspired by the Holy Spirit. He stood up with great sincerity and boldness. Downtown Jerusalem, and he said with passion, he said, 
Jesus Christ was in fact God's son. And Jesus did in fact die for the sins of every person on this planet. And Jesus did in fact rise from the dead and he ascended to the Father. And one day, Peter said, every man, woman, and child is gonna stand before him. And he asked the crowd there, he said, have you admitted your sin? And have you trusted Jesus with your life? And Peter let it fly. Downtown Jerusalem, 33 AD, no holes barred. And he said to the gathering crowd, he said, you've got to decide this for yourself. You've got to declare yourself on this one. You can't be casual about it. In Acts 2.37, it says this. Look at what it says. When the people heard this, they were cut to their hearts. In Acts 2.40, it actually says that Peter went on with many other words, encouraging people challenging people to trust Jesus with their life. And look at what Acts 2.41 says. It says, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people that day trusted Christ with their life and they were baptized at first church. It went from 11 to 3,011 in one day. It exploded into existence. And the point I'm making here, the point I'm making is for that church in early Jerusalem or for any church for that matter, for Crossroads Church to be at our absolute best, we have to have an unswerving commitment to share the message of amazing grace, that God's love and grace is available to everybody. You know, Jesus one time was asked, why'd you come? Why have you come? Net it out for us. Do you know what he said? He said this in, in Luke 19.10. He said, I came to seek and save those that are lost. That was Jesus' mission. To reach out to people that felt like they were outside the kingdom of God, disengaged from a relationship with God, and invite them in, offering God's love and grace and forgiveness and a new beginning to everyone, no matter what their past was like. That was a radical mission back then that Jesus welcomed everyone like this. Religious people, they didn't believe it. They didn't buy that. And people outside of a relationship with God, they didn't believe it either. They were turned off by religion. They never thought they'd get that kind of reception, an invitation from someone related to God. They couldn't believe it. But Jesus welcomed everyone, check it out. He welcomed everyone. Jesus never excluded anyone, never did. He never was upset with sinners. Check that out. Jesus was only upset with people that excluded other people and people that thought they didn't sin. But Jesus welcomed everyone, everyone, regardless of their past, just like we do here. And you know, I've always said, I've always said from the beginning, our goal, as a church, is not to just allow perfect people, whatever, that would be inside these doors here. Our goal has always been to welcome and invite the most mixed up, messed up, junked up, out of control sinners in Northern Colorado. And when I look around today, I think we're still doing a good job. I, I do. I think we're doing a good job of it. But you'll figure out why the staff here always talks about inviting people every week. <laughs>
You'll figure it out if you haven't already. When it's your mom, your dad, your spouse, your son, your daughter, your grandparent, your friend, your neighbor, your partner finally comes and they feel the love of God in this place. They feel the love of God and that love of God in their life begins to transform their life. Then you'll figure it out. You'll be, you'll be saying, I'm so glad. I'm so glad the centerpiece of my church's business is to proclaim the message of amazing grace. That's the first thing that church did really well. And any church at its best must do that. Here's the second thing. Second thing that church did well. They challenged each other to grow spiritually. They challenged each other to grow up spiritually. Acts 2, verse 42, talks about it. It says this, Acts 2, 42. They continually devoted themselves, underline or circle those three words. They continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Notice that wasn't a one-time thing. That was over and over in that church. They continually devoted themselves to teaching, to fellowship, communion, uh, community, and to prayer. And I love those three words. Continually devoted themselves. Their appetite for spiritual growth, it was a continual yearning, not a hit or miss, not a hot or cold, not a ah, maybe I will, maybe I won't kind of thing. They continually yearned to grow and they devoted themselves to it. And that word devoted was a strong word. It meant ferocious dedication. That's what devoted meant, ferocious dedication. It meant you put something at the top of your list, ahead of every other activity, every other commitment. You reorient everything in your life to accommodate the object of your devotion, which was spiritual growth. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine if we were all invested at that level? If we were all involved at that level, how strong our church would be? You imagine if we were all continually yearning to grow spiritually, you know, oh, studying God's word, oh, to community relationships, communion whenever it was served, we'd be here, to prayer. I mean, what could discourage or defeat a church made up of people continually devoting themselves to those kind of values? And I'm a big advocate of personal development of any kind big advocate of it. Uh, uh, taking classes, lessons, reading, podcasts. I'm a big advocate of personal development. But spiritual development, spiritual growth, it's different. It's deeper. It's a deeper thing. Making a new discovery about God or experiencing a new touch of God on your life, uh, watching God answer a prayer or open a door or change your attitude about something or watching God give you the strength to overcome an addiction in your life. I mean, that kind of stuff releases an enormous amount of energy in the human spirit. I mean, there's nothing like growing. And I feel it in my own spirit from time to time. I think back on our church. I think back like about, about eight years ago or so. Our church was going through the toughest time ever. For me personally, the toughest time I ever went through in all my years of ministry. I mean, there was not a lot I felt good about at that time. 
And somebody gave me a book. They go, John, you ought to read this. It was Eugene Peterson's book, Run With Horses. It's about the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. I started just reading it, you know, fast, whole chapter at a time. And then I realized how much I relate to Jeremiah. Jeremiah had a lot of problems, a lot of struggles, that prophet. And he had a lot of ups, a lot of downs. I stopped where I was reading. I went back to the beginning. And I started reading just a little bit of a t- at a time. And I felt God speak to me. In, through that book, I felt God speaking to me. And I thought, I'm growing. I'm growing in the midst of this difficult, difficult time. Well, there's hundreds of spiritual growth opportunities around here. And you know that. I mean, these, these weekend services. I defy people. Come on the weekend consistently and not grow. Really. And there's all kinds of Bible studies, uh, men's, women's, Financial Peace University, Celebrate Recovery, uh, 12-step groups. We've got lots of, lots of them here at Crossroads. Small groups, next step classes, leadership development. We could go on and on, on and on. But that's the church. That's the church at its best. When we're growing together and yearning for that. And one last word before I move on. Moms and dads, grandparents, if you're raising kids or guardians, you set the pace in the family. You do. You set the pace with the kids. I've always said the kids, they cannot see over the wheel. You gotta drive them here. You gotta get them here. You get your kids, you get your family in an environment like this where they're gonna grow spiritually. The Holy Spirit will do what the Holy Spirit does best and you're all gonna grow. And we're gonna do a lot of growing around here in the next year. That's part of the excitement of this next year. Let me give you a third quality of the first church. Set it apart. The way they were committed to community. They were committed to community. And I love how the paraphrase, the message says, Acts 2 verses 44 through 46. It says, and all the believers lived in wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned. They pooled their resources so that each person's need was met. Did you realize that? That early church, each person's need was met. And they ate meals together and every meal was a celebration full of exuberance and joy. Some of them, they couldn't make it weekend to weekend without getting together with other people. They couldn't do it. And what separated that early church from every other religious group of its day? What separated that early church from other religious groups was not that they huddled together and read the scroll. Other groups did that. It wasn't that they met and chanted prayers. Other groups had been doing that hundreds of years. What set that early church apart from every other religious group was the way those followers of Jesus entered into community with one another. And it was a diverse community, like one no one had ever seen before, but like the one Jesus dreamed of. A diverse community, like Paul talked about in Galatians 3, made up of all kinds of people. Jews and Greeks, together, never before done that. Male and female, slaves and free, all together diverse community that welcomed everyone. 
And I don't think that's ever been duplicated to the extent it was then to this day. Even today, only 7% of churches are multi-ethnic in our country. Only 7%, but it's our dream. And we pray every day that we would lead the way in our whole community of being a diverse church. It's made up of all kinds of people. Very diverse church that welcomes everyone. And it's our prayer that everybody who walks in these doors would find relationships here, would find community, community right here, just like the first church did. And so maybe this week, uh, you're part of Crossroads. Maybe you're not in a small group or on a serving team. You could call this week and say, hey, how could I, how could I get on, get in a small group? I know it's summer, but how could I get in one now? Or how could I get on a serving team? You know, how could I do that kind of thing? It's God's dream for all of us to experience community like that. When we experience community like that, then we're being the church at its very, very best. And let me give you a last one and then I'm done, number four. The fourth thing is they saw themselves as servants of God to each other. I mean, that's how we serve God, by serving people, right? That's how they saw themselves, as servants. And in the early church, it wasn't, it wasn't enough to just get a ticket to heaven through what Jesus did on the cross and then live oblivious to the needs of people in the world. They never would have done something like that. The leaders, the core of the early church, they taught people early to roll their sleeves up between now and heaven. Start fixing stuff in Jesus' name. Even if it gets complicated, even if it's exhausting, even if it requires teamwork and sacrifice, our job is not to just make sure we go to heaven when we die. Our job is to reach out to people with the love of God and help other people find redemption and to fix this broken world. And when the early church did all these things, Acts 2.47 says that God's favor fell upon them and God increased the number that were being saved daily, all the time. You know, some of Jesus' most famous words. Jesus, one of his best one-liners was this. One time he said to a group of people, he said, anybody want to be great in God's eyes? Anybody here want to be truly great in God's eyes? Okay, listen up. Here's the one-liner, Mark 10, 43. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. That's how greatness is defined in the kingdom of God. The extent to which we conduct our lives as servants, servants of God to other people. I mean, can you get a picture in your head what our church would be like if we all saw ourselves as servants around here? Servants of God serving people here, serving people in our community. It would turn our community upside down almost overnight. It would change the environment of every place we were in if we saw ourselves this way. Every work environment, every school, every neighborhood, home, family would change almost overnight if we saw ourselves as, as servants. And it can happen. And to clear the air on this one, I don't want to just be a person giving up, giving a talk and not doing it myself. I'll be honest with you. The older I get, I'll be honest. I want to become a greater servant of people in my life than I have been. I do. I want to be a greater servant. I want to be a greater servant of all of you here at Crossroads. I do. I mean, 
That's, that's, the, uh, that's the only path of greatness in God's eyes. And that's just being like Jesus. That's all that is. And by the same token, I ask you, anybody here say, if you were honest, go, man, I, I, I probably need to get greater clarity on this. I need to become a greater servant of people in my life. Anybody? I mean, it starts with me, goes to you. When we're all doing it together, we become, we become the church at its very, very best. And so maybe, maybe today, maybe there's a single mom or a single dad that came here today for the first time. Let's say it's a dad. He's got two little kids, two little kids. And his buddy at work has been saying, you ought to come to my church, Crossroads. You ought to get your kids involved at Crossroads. And so he's never done it, but today, packed the four and the six-year-old up early this morning, got him breakfast, drove him over here. And what he doesn't know, he doesn't know is that people got here real early and they vacuumed the place, they rearranged some furniture in the atrium. They set out coffee and lemonade and all that kind of stuff. So he'd feel comfortable and he'd be relaxed and he doesn't know that people put on name tags and they put on vests out in the parking lot, set up cones so that, you know, he'd get a good place to park. He doesn't know that people put on name tags to greet him in here. and doesn't know that people in the children's department, they've been working all week to provide a fabulous experience for his kids. And he doesn't know that the, the singers and musicians, they've been rehearsing lyrics all week. Tech people have been rehearsing what they're gonna do. They've been doing this all week, all week, learning music, camera angles, all that stuff, so that he would have a fabulous experience, so that they would be able to share music that would, that would touch his heart and be relevant to him. And he doesn't know that the, the pastor that was up speaking, uh, he was tweaking and fine-tuning his message all day yesterday to where he finally said to his wife, he, he said, man, I'm not used to doing this so much anymore. Man, I hate to go out on a bomb. You know, like this could be the biggest swan dive ever. This could be the worst sermon I ever give. And she says like she always does, well, let me read it. And she reads it and she reassures him. She says, hang in there. God will be able to use it, I think. Anyway, they might ask you back. And so without knowing any of this, a single dad pulls into the service, pulls up here. There's somebody with a vest on, waves to him, smiles at him as he gets a parking place. He and the kids walk to the front door. There's another person there. And she smiles to him. She's got a name tag on. She says, welcome, welcome, glad you're here. Then he takes the kids to the kids area. And the people in the kids area, they reassure him, they say, hey, don't worry, don't worry, first time, we're gonna take good care of your kids. We've got a great experience planned for him. And then he walks into the atrium and sees a buzz that's happening here. He gets a cup of coffee and heads for one of these doors and, and there's somebody at the door smiling, welcoming him again. And they give him a program and he finds a seat and he sits down. And it's so obvious that God reached down and God reached down and touched the efforts of all the people planted in the service because it all connects with his life. 
And the music touches his soul. And the message, well, God does something of a miracle with that also. And when it's all done, he gets up and he leaves. And he goes and gets the kids. And as they're walking to the car, one of the kids says, hey, dad, I learned about Jesus today. And under his breath, he says, so did I, so did I. Let's bow our heads together. God, I pray that you would continue to have your hand upon this church and use our church, all of us, everyone together, to make a difference in our community, to make a difference in the lives of every person that comes in here, however your spirit wants. We are open, God. Make us servants of you and the world that you've placed us in. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you pray this with me right now. Just in your heart, say, dear God, thank you for bringing me here today. Thank you for pursuing me even when I've ignored you. And God, I want to know you more and I want to I want to follow you with my life. And Jesus Christ, today, I want to put my trust in you. As much as I know how, I want to put my trust in you. Please forgive all the things that I've done wrong in my life. And I accept your gift of forgiveness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your gift of eternal life. In your name I pray.